listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. All right. A lot of pointers going in different directions out there and uh, helping us to make sense of it today is Stuart Aldcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Andrew, to oh. you. Hey, good to have you back on as well with Barry Wood, RTHK's International Economics Correspondent in Washington, D.C. Hello, Barry. Good morning, Andrew. Um, gentlemen, you know, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on consumer data. Some, some good numbers coming out yesterday. Delta is out saying the consumer is strong and they're spending money with us. But, you've, you know, their stock is, was up, what, 6.8%. Walgreens, however, said the consumer was, you know, in terrible shape and blame that on their numbers tanking. Their shares went way down. Who's right? Barry, you're, you're over there. What, what's going on? What's going on with the U.S. consumer? Are they, are they, you know, they're flying around, but they're not buying drugs. What's happening? Well, here's my own take. In terms of Delta, they are very involved in in international travel. They are seeing huge demand, and that's that people have a lot of money left over from the COVID stimulus, and uh, that's going to continue. All the airlines are doing very well, although we've got some domestic problems here because air traffic control is fighting a contagion problem, and we've also got the July 4th holiday coming up. In terms of Walgreen, you've got San Francisco, New York, Washington, D.C., Chicago, where what they call shrinkage, i.e. shoplifting. Mm. This is really eroding profit margins and, in fact, keeping a lot of people away. So I wouldn't pay a lot of attention to the problems of Walgreens. Another chain of, of drugstores would be CVS. Their heart hit even more. But mm. this is uh, probably a passing phenomenon. Let's hope so. Hmm. Uh, so here's, here's something I'm kind of curious about. Um, uh, we've noticed in Asia that if you're taking short-haul flights, say, I don't know, Kuala Lumpur to Hong Kong or Singapore to Hong Kong, you go with a discount airline, prices are kind of normal. But international flights are completely insane, like double, triple, even four times what they were pre-COVID. Um, uh, what are you seeing in the United States? Are international flights in and out of the U.S. sky high, and, but are domestic flights, you know, at reasonable yes. levels? That is a fair conclusion, Andrew. What we're seeing is that prices overall for air tickets are down from what they were a year ago. That's a surprise to most people. Mm -hmm. But in terms of foreign flights, the flights from the United States to Europe and from the United States to South America and to Asia, those prices are higher. So, yes, there's just a huge demand. Anybody who is listening who's been in an airport recently knows that. Planes are full. Airports are full. People have got money to spend. Mm. Yeah, and, and, but we should add to that, Barry, that there are less flights than there were pre-COVID. Good you know, point, yes. And, and uh, I, I can say from my own experience and knowledge that there are probably less than 50% of the flights that were flying before COVID currently going from, from Hong Kong to any European airport, any European destination. Um, and I think that that's... That, that's another way in which the airlines are able to keep their very, very high prices, as Andrew points out, which are eye-wateringly high still. Um, and for as long as they have no empty seats on the planes, they'll continue to do it. Yeah, and I would add to that, Stuart, uh, you're right. Uh, there's fewer flights. The reason there's fewer flights is that uh, this industry was really disrupted by three years of COVID. And a lot of people just bailed out. Pilots, yep. 
flight attendants, they're gone. Yep. And so many airlines, I know that's true of Cathay, they're having trouble getting people to come back to work. There are all kinds of jobs available. And it takes a while to get an aircraft ready to go back into service. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we saw in Hong Kong, certainly, lots of the um, cabin crew leave, lots of the pilots leave, some enforced leave, and they're not getting them back anywhere near as quickly. You know, uh, one, of, one of the bigger problems is that if you, if you were an employee of the airline, you got very heavily discounted uh, airfares for life, whether you worked for them or not. <laughs> So why would you want to go back if you could go and get another job and still have your very heavily uh, discounted prices? I think this is this is something that uh, is certainly causing a problem on current recruitment. But if there is a shortage of labor that's impacting on the availability of flights in the international routes, um, why is the same not true for short-haul domestic flights in the U.S., short-haul flights in Europe, or even short-haul discount airline flights in Asia? Well, it depends on where the airlines um, sort of staff their flights, really, isn't it? doesn't it? I mean, some people would prefer to not have to uh, stay overnight uh, at, at different destinations. Some people would prefer to just be able to get home at night after their flights. Um, whereas if you're doing the long-haul destinations, you're, you're, you're not only having to stay where you are, but you, you often have to stay two or three days before you can come back because of um, restrictions on, on the number of hours that you're flying. Uh, so it's, I mean, th these are things that need to get sorted out, and more staff will certainly help. Um, and recruiting, uh, it, it's, it's not just the recruiting, it's then the training and then making sure that the people meet the standards of the airline. As we've heard from Cathay, you know, they're, they're, they're very concerned about the standards of their own staff because of a little uh, difficulty they had recently. And, and so you know, it's, it's going to take a while and we have to expect that this will probably run on through till middle of next year possibly i mean the another yeah another factor uh, andrew mm. is that uh, on short-haul flights you've got a lot of competition you do in the united states you do in western europe you've got uh, ryanair you've got whiz you've got uh, easyjet that's in europe those are using A320s and 737 so there's a lot more competition that drives down prices Hmm. So, so it sounds like uh, the American consumer is doing good. I mean, uh, you know, the beginning of the year, and we've, we've talked about this before, in the beginning of the year, everyone thought the Chinese consumer was going to save the world. But it looks like the U.S. consumer. Um, I don't know that the, the U.S. consumer is doing as well as, as you're sort of indicating, only because... Um, I think we are still seeing uh, interest rates. The impact of interest rates has still not come into the market as fully as it probably will do the second half of this year. Mm -hmm. We have seen interest rates rise. We are expecting to see some more increases in, in interest rates, uh, possibly at the end of July, another quarter, a half percent, depending on the market at, at the time. And then you know, this, this will be a slowdown in people spending and it's also intended to try to halt um, the rise of inflation which although the US has done better than many other places on inflation it's still higher than um, the Fed would like and the government would like so I think this we're still some way before we get to see and understand where, where we're standing but I think the consumer is not spending as heavily as they were they 
they, they are realizing that there are other costs that are, are more important than spending money on goods they don't necessarily need. Um, mortgage costs, for example, have a priority. I mean, mortgage costs are interesting. I mean, if they're not, you know, if people are spending on necessarily what they need. What they need is a place to live. And housing starts in the United States are still really strong. It seems like the American home buyer is kind of not maybe not happy, but seems to be adapting to six, seven percent mortgage rates. Barry, what I mean, uh, how do you explain that? Well, that's true. I think uh, Stuart's got it right. There's a lag in terms of interest rates, and uh, probably there's going to be a slowdown in housing. But, you know, there's a bifurcation between commercial real estate, which has really been hit hard by the work-from-home movement, mm -hmm. and what's happening in the private sector for residences. And I think that um, the fact that interest rates have doubled, uh, that is uh, still in the market. People are still buying. And you do see that uh, the housing sector is uh, holding up much better than had been expected. So what, home prices are up at uh, a 14-month high, three consecutive months of increases. Mm -hmm. But indeed, in the UK, the US, Western Europe, Canada, interest rates, mortgage interest rates, on, and that applies equally to rents, they're going up, and that is going to restrain the housing sector as we go forward. I mean, it, it should restrain it at some point, and uh, I think we've noted before, I mean, in Canada, people typically have a five-year mortgage, and then they roll over, so they're getting hit by the mortgage rates increases earlier, um, whereas Americans tend to lock in for longer periods of time, yeah? Yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, uh, Stuart, if you're looking at the, at the uh, you know, these factors in the U.S., like U.S. consumers doing well, uh, home buyers are doing well, but I mean, you're thinking the party has to end somewhere. Are you taking money off the table, or are you going light, light on some of your profit taking at this point? Like, what, what are you advising? Well, I, I think the issue here is that the majority of retail investors have absolutely no idea where they're going to do, where they're going to invest money at the moment, mm -hmm. and they're. For most of them, they're not actually investing money. They've got very confused by markets. Um, yes, we know that the S&P 500 and NASDAQ and uh, some U.S. indices have done extremely well. But it's not that the, the whole of the market has done well. It's just the $7 trillion stocks that have led the market up um, and, and been responsible for the majority of the gains. That is going to be um, a cause for extreme volatility in, in the future, in my view, because these stocks are very heavily priced. And therefore, if there should be any change in the situation, their prices could come down very sharply indeed. And I, I think that we'd see um, uh, quite a lot of um, blood on the street in that, in that respect. So overall, I think people are, are not sure where to invest. They, they're not seeing anything out of Europe that's particularly good. Asia is struggling. China is, is very negative. Mm. Um, Japan has done well. But most people have missed Japan. Uh, but on the downside for Japan, the currency has weakened very strongly. So it, we, we've seen, uh, in U.S. dollar terms, we've only seen about half the gain because of the, uh, the weakness of the currency. But overall, most people, many, many of the um, retail investors and their, and their advisors are, are really just um, sort of waiting and seeing and not not committing too much to the markets. So Stuart, you're, yeah. a fun, you're a fun guy. You talk about these things being, uh, or, you know, the, 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 uh, the indices being heavily, heavily weighted to these tech stocks that have just kind of eaten yeah. up the value of it. Um, does this undermine the whole concept of an ETF? 
Not at all. The ETF is the beneficiary of that because it will have been invested into those stocks in, the, in a way that um, maybe active funds would not have done. Yeah, but I mean, if an ETF is supposed to give you expo- broad exposure across you know, a, a particular industry, if I buy like a Dow or an yeah. S&P 500, but it's being dominated by a few stocks, isn't, isn't that kind of the antithesis of, a, of an ETF, of the concept? No, of on, the, on the upside, okay. quite the opposite. The ETF will have benefited in full because it will be tracking the index exactly as the index is weighted. Hmm. Now, the downside is, of course, if the market uh, does go down and those big stocks go down faster, then the ETF will go down in, in the same way. But on the upside, it has been certainly the beneficiary and has done significantly better, probably, than most active funds, because most active funds, fund managers will have been a bit wary of, of being too invested in too few stocks. Hmm. One, one thing that would hit the market broadly, of course, is uh, trade wars, trade friction. Barry, I know you've got your eyes on a, on a new book that just came out from a former U.S. trade rep, Lighthizer. Can you tell us what, what the, what's going on there? Yeah, pretty ominous stuff. Robert Lighthizer was President Trump's trade ambassador. And he applauds the Biden administration for following the Trump policies, particularly on tariffs. You remember uh, President Trump used to say, I'm the tariff man. And uh, indeed he is. And most of the tariffs that have applied to Chinese goods coming into the States are still in place. Lighthizer is saying, let's do more. Let's put tariffs on all Chinese goods entering the United States market. He also thinks that the World Trade Organization should be revamped and that uh, tariff structures within the WTO need to be changed, that there should be a removal of the most favored nation or normal trading status for Chinese goods into the U.S. market. In other words, he wants to get tougher and he wants more export controls on goods coming in from China that are strategically important. I hasten to say none of this is going to happen not immediately. Not immediately, but but, but it is very significant that a man of Lighthizer's strategy, who stature, who is a trade lawyer, and is still, despite having put all these Trump tariffs into place, now finds that the Democrats are going along with him. So yeah. you, know, you almost have to say, watch out ahead, because there could be more friction between the United States. China on trade. And it's even if uh, as a Republican uh, primary seat up could even become more relevant and might be coming back to talk about that book again. Barry, stick around for the last part of the show so you can give us a view from America. Uh, and we'll thank you then. And we'd like to thank Stuart Aldcroft, the Asian fund management industry consultant.